Hey y'all, this is Jess. This is Jordan. And welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or, surprise, surprise, how I spent my baby ceremony. And this week, we're talking Halloween! I'm gonna be honest with you guys. So, like, we've done, this is actually our 10th episode. Happy 10th anniversary. Yes. That means we've been doing this for... Well, there are a couple, a couple weeks where we had double weeks, so we've been doing it for about two months now. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to everybody who's been on the journey with us so far, and future future you, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. Yeah. But this particular movie, out of the ten movies that we've done, this is the first one that I'm just like, yes, we have to see this. Yes, highly anticipated. Um, we also, this fall, we have a lot of that coming up. Yeah. Just in general of like... <gasps> Yeah, I know, of course, we want to go see Fantastic Beasts when it comes uh, out. Crimes of Grindelwald? Uh, yes. Grindelwald? Yes, I still don't like that title, but I'm going to get over it. Yeah, we didn't do it. Um, um, just so you know, everyone, we have dogs of the podcast. We have Charlie and Madison, and it is a rainy fall day uh, that we're recording this. And we have a black lab that is very sad that yeah. it is raining outside. Normally, you don't hear Charlie like whine. But right now, I, I told you before, the back door of my studio goes out into our backyard. Uh, and normally, Charlie comes down here. That's the first place he wants to go. He wants to be let out that door. And we're not doing that this time because it's raining, and I don't want to have to deal with him walking through the house wet and then come down here, and I have to stop <laughs> the podcast to dry him off. So all that to say, we're going to deal with a whiny dog today. Yes. Um, and without further ado, the drink of the podcast mm-hmm is um very basic yeah so there are a couple of reasons for this uh first let's cheers Mm. cheers all right so obviously like we said last episode we're still on the whole 30 so uh we're not able we're almost done we're doing it yes we are this is trust me it's been a lot harder for me than it has been for her (laughs) i hate so eating so much meat (laughs) yeah we normally eat fairly vegetarian and this has really wrecked us on this i hate this um but so we're not able to partake in the normal alcohol with you guys uh but we decided that we were going to do as far as we could for what the drink of the podcast is do you want to introduce that we are having homemade pumpkin spice lattes Mm -hmm. Uh, we just basically have a spicy coffee drink um and we are spiking it in theory yes i'm gonna i think we're spiking it with two different things okay what are you spiking it with i am spiking it with the blood of my enemies Right. I don't know how you guys are going to follow along with that. <laughs> Just put some red food coloring in there, I guess. Um, yes, opportunity missed, indeed. Um, mine, I'm spiking with vodka in celebration of Halloween H2O, where they pour themselves like five fingers of vodka in a cup <laughs> and just drink it straight. I believe that's a fist of vodka. A fist of vodka. A fist of vodka. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie, against our, against my better judgment, at least, I've been very excited about this. So, yeah, let's, let's chat... Real quick, though, kind of why we're so excited, because John Carpenter's back. Yeah, he's back, not only as executive producer, according to him, basically, he wasn't like involved in the nitty gritty of it, but whenever they would make a decision, they would bring it to him, and, yeah. he, and they would get his advice on it, and he said, apparently, more often than not, they took it. Yeah. Uh, because this movie was made by not only good filmmakers, but it was made by people who love the original Halloween. And you could tell. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things, so we just recently watched Halloween H2O, mm-hmm. tis the season to watch all the scary things. I can't believe we didn't watch the first one immediately before watching this one, though. Because we've been busy. Yep. Also, it's because we've been watching The Haunting of Hill House. It's awesome. And in... 
hopefully upcoming episode, we're going to dive a little deeper into that. Yeah, we've got an upcoming just happy Halloween episode, and I we would be amiss, even though Haunting of Hill House is an episodic, um, is great. Well, here's the thing, is that, like, this is about date night, right? Yeah. You know, we're both... We're both, you know, out of our 20s at this point. Um, um, I don't know what you're talking about, but yes. I'm out of my 20s at this point. <laughs> um, and we've been married a long time, closer to a decade than not. Um, you know, sometimes date nights, whenever you work as much as we do, is just like, oh my God, I get to sit home and just <laughs> chill out. Like, yes, it sounds lame, but trust me, if you haven't experienced it, one day you will. And those of you who have experienced it know exactly what I'm talking about. There is something magical, 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 hashtag magical <laughs> <laughs> about being in your jammies on the couch with all your creatures. So I, I think we've just come up with a new hashtag, by the way. So kind of like how we have there are thoughts whenever a movie is bad. Uh -huh. Whenever we love a movie, it's going to be magical. Ooh, this movie is magical. Um, but yeah, going back to John Carpenter being back, uh, he did the score, which I was so excited and, about. Yeah. And it's real good. It is good. He did it. So you haven't listened to John Carpenter's albums with me, have you? No, no it's not really my thing. Right. So, you know, I, I like synthy music. Uh, Jessica tolerates it and hopefully likes the stuff that I do. <laughs> um, but since about 2013. 13, 2012, something like that. John Carpenter has been releasing new music that he's been recording with his son, Cody, yeah. and his godson, Daniel Davies, whose father is Dave Davies from the Kinks. Oh. Yeah, so most of the, like, the guitar that you heard on the score was Daniel. And then on their albums, like it's it's a little more proggy, like prog rock than oh. like the scores are. Like it's not as like slow burn because it's just a different thing, you know. Well, I mean, there's a difference between an album of storytelling mm -hmm. and composing. It's completely different. It, exactly. So, um, but yeah, um, I loved, loved, loved the music on this. In fact, I so whenever we got home, I forgot that I had to go get something that we needed to do the podcast today. So I drove back to the my local music store. And I, the first thing I did was I pulled up Spotify and I pulled up the album because I've been waiting to listen to any of the music. A, because sometimes it's just more fun to listen to it after the movie. But B, uh, the track listing on this, I heard it gives away so much. I've been listening to the podcast uh, Halloweenies uh, from the Consequence Network, you know, mm -hmm. Consequence of Sound, Consequence of Film. And it's been really good. And they got a sneak peek at, this, at the album and they were all like, it's great. But don't look up the track listing on it because it gives away the movie. Yeah. And whenever I saw it today, I was like, it did. So I was glad to finally be able to put it on. And the next time I get in my car, that's what I'm going to do, too. Yeah. And, but the score in the movie, I don't think gives it away. No, 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 no. Not at all. The, I score, mean, is, the score is perfect. This, and, this movie isn't full of twists and turns. No. It is... It is a, it is a, it's a build and it gives you exactly what it sets out to give you. It is one of the classic good Halloween movies. And yeah. John Carpenter, I mean, normally we wait and talk about the music at the end, but I guess we're just kind of in it right now. Yeah. Um, but John Carpenter, I've had to defend him as a composer to a lot of my composer colleagues. Really? Yeah. I used to be, uh, in this group, uh, Kala, it was the, uh, Composers Alliance Los Angeles. I don't know if it's still a, if it's still a thing, but like my one of my good friends started it and I started going to it and you know to give away some of my secrets. I'm not I'm not 
classically or traditionally musically trained. Uh, everything I do is self-taught. You know, I know how to write for orchestras and I know what ranges to write in instruments, but like I don't read music traditionally. Um, so I was very much an outlier in there. And every time I would bring up something that was uh, kind of synth related, a lot of times I would start to get people's eye rolls. And, yeah. you know, the funny thing is now is that some of those people I see are now doing very synthy scores. Oh, are they? Yeah. But they like whenever I would bring that up, they would just get like, you know, really eye rolly. And then one time my friend who started the group, uh, genuinely, he was like, OK, Jordan, what are some good electronic film scores and I was surprised that nobody had mentioned Blade Runner before that but I just said anything John Carpenter does yeah. because it's not about how much music can you write it's not about how complex music you can write John Carpenter knows how to deal more with tone mood and dynamics better than anybody and like <sighs> neighborhood motorcycle kid <laughs> I thought it was the Roomba. <laughs> no. I mean, there have been times when I've been down here working and you're not here, and I think the Roomba's going off by itself. Oh, okay. But uh, no, he knows how to work with uh, with tone and dynamics and mood better than almost anybody. And I have a really hard time emulating that uh, just because it's some... Like, and if you listen to him talk about in interviews, he doesn't sound like he's a very easy interview because, like... You know, whenever people are just like, well, did you ever know that, like, you know, Halloween is going to do like create this big genre? He's like, no, I was just making a movie. Right. Um, and but he always denigrates his musical abilities. And whenever people are just oh, well, I've heard somebody ask him, well, aren't you aren't you proud of the fact that there are so many musicians and composers who like do music as a tribute to you and have influence have talked about using influence? I remember his response was, it's cool, but there are also bands out there who do the soundtracks from the Mega Man games. So you take that how you will. <laughs> and it, it's like, you're right. But like. It, if John Carpenter ever listens to this, I want him to know how much, not only do I love his films, but I love your music so much. Yeah. And I'm going to stop geeking out about this because I'm sure you guys are getting bored, but this soundtrack is awesome. It's really good. What I like, too, is um, it is it is grown. It's grown. It's, it's not just the first Halloween music, which was very, very simple. Mm -hmm. he, and he adapted the themes great yeah, in this movie. It was, it just overall, um, the music I thought was really great. It doesn't give it away. This movie is very straightforward. It is graphic. I would say this isn't as graphic as like the Rob Zombie Halloween 2. But it's no, but that's almost at the Rob Zombie level. But we no, I that's he we had this conversation the other day, and I think you're right. Rob Zombie and we both really liked the first Rob Zombie Halloween. Yeah. We both really, really liked the first Rob Zombie Halloween. Um, the second one I don't like because it's just gross. They all live in gross houses. They It's just gross. Yeah, well, the second one, too, like, I mean, there are a lot of problems with that second Halloween movie. Um, but the second one, too... It revels in its grossness. Like, the first one is pretty gross. Like, you know, the house is filthy. You know, the kitchen's disgusting. Yeah, but it, it, Rob Zombie does a really good job of doing, ba like, baby Michael Myers. Yeah. And it that part makes sense. And then Lori's, Lori, when she's grown in her teenage Lori, uh -huh. is, that house isn't gross. Right. So, but the beginning makes sense. Like, poor... 
Like, story-wise, that one made sense to yeah. me. But, yeah, this one, everybody's in a gross house. The characters also just all became unlikable in the second. Yeah, Rob even Lori. Yeah, Lori was unlikable. And I see what he was trying to do, because he wanted to show, like, basically what this movie's showing, how trauma can really affect you. Yeah, and that's that was one thing. So um, if you're on your way to see the movie right now, um, the beginning of the movie... I, this movie doesn't take into account anything after the first Halloween movie, not even the hospital, nothing. It takes only into account the first Halloween movie, knowing all that trauma that, you know, and I, I I don't love all like the in-between ones. I like number two, number three, go listen to the, how did this get made on that? Um, I, I was talking with my friend, Ryan Crowley, who's another musician I grew up playing with. Uh, you know, you can check him out at, uh, his SoundCloud, which is just Ryan Crowley music, his album, find my way. I actually produced a track on there and played on a lot of it, but we both grew up, you know, we were friends since high school and we loved watching the Halloween movies. Um, we were talking about it yesterday and I mentioned Halloween three and he was just like, yeah, it was, you know, I've only seen it once, but it was nice to watch like an eighties horror movie that I hadn't seen before with just killer music. And a Halloween three is my favorite soundtrack out of the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, and B I get such a giddy excitement out of watching Halloween three that I don't really get out of the other ones. Oh. Like, like I definitely would say that I like Halloween one and Halloween two better. But Halloween 3, just because it is what it is, and it feels like so creatively itself, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just love that movie. Yeah, it's it's fine. But so going back to what I was saying, the Halloween, um, this, this one has nothing to do with anything but one. Right. Um, and, I, and I really like H2O as well. So taking into account, we've got plain dogs. Guys, guys. So this movie ignores everything after one. And I was thinking as I this movie started, she was highly traumatized after the first one, like traumatized. Mm-hmm. And what it felt like they were really trying to bolster was how horrific that night was. But it's so tough because that movie was also a 1970s film and it's not that terrifying. It's if you think about it, it's mm-hmm. awful. And the trauma that would have happened to Lori is incredible. But it really took me a minute to get into this movie because it was like, I mean, I get it. But if we're ignoring all this other horror, like horrifyingly tragic things, then, yeah, all of this made sense. But taking into consideration, it was just the first one. Um it was kind of hard to kind of be like, okay, ignore those, ignore those. Well, and that's, that is one thing about this is that like Lori being traumatized after 40 years, after what she went through in Halloween one, I can accept that one because it happened when she was 17, you know, like, you know, your mind is still forming a lot about like adulthood at 17, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you see two of your best friends and one of their boy one of their boyfriends get killed, mm-hmm. you know, plus the dog that nobody thinks about. Right. Um, plus, uh, you know, she wasn't there for this, but, you know, Michael Myers also killed the guy to steal his uh, his coveralls, you know, uh, and nobody finds him. But, you know, five people being killed 40 years ago and you being at the center of it all and basically having fought off this masked killer who broke into your house, that makes sense why, she, why her character is the way she is. So I didn't have a problem with that. The one thing that I had... 
Uh, and just so you know, them ignoring the second one as well also means that they are not related in this movie. So Correct. As, as and, that's, and that's brought up really, really early on in this film. Yeah. Um, I like how they bring that up, too, with mm-hmm. the kids. Um, <clears throat> but the whole podcast angle of it, like, you know, obviously true crime podcasts are a big oh, thing right now. Yeah. And, you know, we listen to a lot of them. Uh, the two that we're listening to right now, uh, Up and Vanished and Atlanta Monster. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so good. Thank th- you, Payne Lindsay. They're they're really good. Uh, but those are all things like Atlanta Monster, for example, even though not a lot of people know about it, that was like, what, a body count of at least like 15 kids? Something like that. But it's even possibly in the higher numbers. Yeah. Um, and then Up and Vanished, it's obviously just about like, you know, one well, spe- cold cases. Yeah. yeah. One specific cold case. This one, like what, according to this movie, Michael Myers was caught pretty soon after, uh, there's only five kills. Yeah. So it's not a cold case. They know what happened and they know where he is. So I didn't understand what they were wanting to accomplish by going back well, to it. So the thing that they kept talking about, so this one, I actually think I know the answer to, mm-hmm. Um, they kept talking about how the fact that Michael Myers has not said a word in 40 years. Mm -hmm. So it was, they were trying to get a reaction out of him. He's turned into this zombie. And so, and moreover, when, um, Allison later on is like, he said something to me. He said something. If you let me go, he he said something. It's all about the fact that they want this the psychiatrist, which we won't get into spoiler territory I really yet. want to get into that yeah. towards the end of but this. The, yeah. But everyone wants Michael Myers. They want to know why he did this. Like, why did he do this? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really think that's what this what that was on. I totally was on board with the podcasters. It's not that I wasn't on board with it. It just, to me, like, that was one of the... That was... That was the first suspension of disbelief that I had. In this oh, movie. I totally was on board and I totally understood that they were, they had, they, so they've, they've solved crimes. They've done this. And then there's this case of this dude who killed everybody, but no one knows why. And we don't have Dr. Loomis mm-hmm. who, again, if we had the history of the other movies, Dr. Loomis in other movies was like, this is like, this is a monster. Yeah. And this is why he's a monster. So later on, I want to I want to get off track of the movie a little bit. I want to talk about some fan theories from the Halloween movies that I've that I've come across recently. Okay. And some of them I think are kind of cool. OK, uh, but uh, but we'll get into that a little later. I just want to say that now so I don't forget to bring it up. OK. Um, yeah. So on the podcasters, though, do you think they were actually good podcasters? Yeah, I didn't. Why? For one thing, uh, for one for one thing, like they they came across super aggressive, even for an investigative like an investigative journalist. Like whenever he's just waving the mask at him and shouting at him, like that seemed a little out of the ordinary to me. And one thing, whenever they talk about how like you know well we've solved this case and we've solved this case. Uh, it didn't make sense on how, like, whenever he was like, no, real journalists don't pay for their information. And to me, that sounded like something where it's like, that's their first one. Like, that's something that you would say whenever you're, you know, trying to bolster your appearance earlier in your career, you know? I mean, I can see that. I don't agree. Yeah. I, I thought I thought that they were... Uh, I, I did not think that they were great podcasters. Oh, I thought they were... I. I honestly thought they were fine. I just thought this was a, a tough case. Um, 
and they're more investigative journalists. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're new to the podcast, but it also too, I've been around a lot of dudes. And if you think that you can like solve this case, it makes complete sense to me that he was like, I'm going to go up to this little yellow line. I'm going to yell at Michael Myers with this stupid little mask. And he's going to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Made total sense to me. Gotcha. I mean, it didn't bother me that much, but that is something that I, uh, w- real quick before we get into it, cause we, we just, we were just so excited about talking about this movie. We didn't rate it. <gasps> oh, are we going to rate it in Halloween masks? Or bloody knives. There's a part of me that thinks we should do pumpkins, but there's also (gasps) a part of me that thinks that pumpkins are too... uh, No. In jack-o'-lanterns. Jack-o'-lanterns. We're going to do it in jack-o'-lanterns, and we need to carve our jack-o'-lanterns. Yes, we do. Um, We are... So after watching Trick or Treat, which is another amazing Halloween film, Mm -hmm. um, not Halloween in the series, but Halloween the season film, uh, Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat, um, it's so good, but we have to light a jack-o'-lantern now because of Sam Hain. So yeah, we got to do it. We've got to keep our family safe. Yes. So um, let's do it in jack-o'-lanterns. Okay. How many jack-o'-lanterns would you give it? I would give this, I mean, I'd give it a five. Yeah. Yeah. Because as a fan of all of this and I, you know, I'm not a die hard Halloween fan. I, I love Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I watch, hocus pocus every year so like i don't know how die hard i am so um (laughs) so i would say i give it a five because i love h2o and Mm -hmm. h2o was supposed to be this movie yeah and this it it every character made sense um i even give it a five even with like the eh, things i wasn't sure about but it get it it earned all of its moments Mm -hmm. it its death count is unreal and it kills people that you wouldn't think it would. Yeah. And, um, it was just overall, overall, I left the movie not going, gosh, I wish they did this. Yeah. And we were in a theater full of kind of good talkative people Uh and good reactions and people were doing the No, don't do what idiot. Like those kinds of things throughout the movie. And to me, if you get the general public, riled up to like talk during the movie, which mm-hmm. is what we want, right? You want to have people react to your movie. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was great. And there was just enough throwbacks to what we already knew as well, that it was really, it, it kind of felt like the force awakens mm-hmm. the force awakens. Sure. It was a remake, but it felt good. Yeah. And it's what we wanted maybe. And I don't know if I'd give that five, five lightsabers, but, um, I don't know. I just, I would go back. I, I expect this one to be in our collection. A thousand percent. Um, I want to get a record player just so I can get the soundtrack on vinyl. I've been looking for a record player. Yeah. I would, I'm going to go on ahead and just say that I agree with you. I'll give it five out of five jack-o'-lanterns. And I think it's important for me to say before I go too much farther into this, because like last week we gave First Man like four and four and a half. We're not, yeah. com- we're not comparing this movie to First Man. Um, no, this movie, I think it, whenever we rate these films, I think it's how we just feel about them I've, and how, and, and we're talking, we're literally talking to you after we've left the theater. Yeah. So yeah. I tend to, whenever I've always rated movies, um, you know, Roger Ebert was a big influence on how I watch movies, just like most people of ours and movie lovers of like even our parents' generation, mm-hmm. you know, I mean. I don't think either of our parents were, you know, big Roger Ebert fans or they just didn't really care. But uh, gosh, I remember like growing up 
before the internet, um, you know, we're only 20, but like before the internet, um, I remember looking at what Siskel and Ebert rated a movie in the newspaper before we went and saw it. Roger Ebert really helped shape the way that a lot of people watch movies, myself included. And there's one, I'm going to paraphrase this like I always do because I know enough to talk about it, but not enough to get the phrasing right. He was, (laughs) he was reviewing basic instinct Two. Excellent. And he said something along the lines of, I would say I can't recommend this movie, but why the hell not? Because it's God awful. No, God awful and boring would be a reason not to recommend this movie. So, and then, and then he talks about like, uh, whenever he, I can't remember which movie he was, uh, he was reviewing, but he was just like, when I'm reviewing the Punisher, I'm not reviewing the Punisher, uh, next to, uh, whatever the big prestige movie of 2004 was. He's like, I'm rating it against Daredevil, you know? Right. Um, I'm rating it against Batman. So at that point I'd say the Punisher is, I'd say the Punisher is about a three, you know? So yeah, whenever I give Halloween five out of five and first man four out of five, that doesn't mean that I'm saying you should go see Halloween instead of first man. They're just two different movies. Well, just It's a different beast. Like first man, it, it, touched on things that were important and good, but we also had all these like, what the crap parts of the story. Yeah. This movie is a Halloween movie. Yeah. It is John Carpenter's Halloween and it felt like it. Mm -hmm. So the reason I would give this five out of five is for the exact reason that you just said, it felt like it belonged as a Halloween movie. I would say that this is definitely the strongest sequel that they've made. Yeah, Um, I agree. And the fact too, that, you know, having been a part of a Friday the 13th that was successful, but Paramount can't get a Friday the 13th out. And mm -hmm. now there's all this controversy. And although I don't live in fan world too hard, I mean, gosh, you were listening to your Friday the 13th podcast today and Mm -hmm. they're like, they can't even get a movie made, you know? And if, and also making a movie in a franchise is hard because nerddom is nerddom. And they played in this franchise remarkably well and beautifully. And they were, and they, they were living in hard confines, mm-hmm. but having to tell a new story. Yeah. So back to me trying to review my thoughts of this movie. Uh, I would give it five out of five because it felt like it belonged in the world. Um, I would say that it, uh, I would say that, you know, again, the score was great. I thought the performances were great. Jamie Lee Curtis is a powerhouse in this movie. Yeah. Um, I thought, uh, I thought, um, the girl who played her daughter, Andy Matichak, I think you say her name. Oh, or her, uh, Allison. Her, yeah, her, her granddaughter. Because Judy Greer yeah, is her daughter. Judy Greer was really good in this I mean, movie. D- is Judy Greer ever bad? No. No. But like, but she was playing a different kind of character. She she has she has started to make a career out of unfortunately playing some thankless roles in some movies which is unfortunate because of how good she is. You know, she plays the mom in Jurassic World. She plays the wife, the Caesar's wife in the Planet of the Apes movies, and she's not really given that much to do well, there. Well, um, her book is basically about that. Yeah. So, and, and I know, you know, she's got a great career, and people always... Theater school alum. Yep, DePaul Theater School. Uh, she and she's obviously making a good career for herself, doing some really good work. But it was nice for me to see her stretch her legs a little bit. I would disagree because I think Judy Kerr has gotten those roles and those opportunities. 
I had no doubt. The moment I saw her, I was like, she's going to be fierce as all get out. Well, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not surprised by it. it yeah. To I, me just, this... I just haven't seen her play this type of role in a while. That's fair. Yeah, and I just, she was awesome. Yeah. And I liked that the, uh, spoiler alert, killed all the dudes and let the ladies win the day. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to live in this household, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, no, I just thought all the performances were good. I thought it was paced very well, which is a hard yeah. thing to do in a horror movie. Uh, you it know, wasn't too long either. No, it wasn't too long. There were parts of it where I felt like, oh, it was like, oh, I can see this is where they're building up to. I kind of wish it was going a little longer, you know? Um, it definitely did give you what you want in a horror movie in terms of like the kills and stuff like that. Oh, the kills were great. Oh, you know, let's get into the kills. Let's take a quick break. Yeah. And that way, if you're on your way to the movie, we can't wait for you to tune back in and let's talk about some killing some people. Yeah, we'll be right back. looked at all those insta celebrities and been like where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because i need one but then you think to yourself i don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish what if i could tell you you could get awesome apparel awesome jewelry and it gives back you need to check out rocks jewelry shop that's right rocks R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, JewelryShop.com, code DATENIGHT, for 15% off. And welcome back to Date Night at the Movies, and we're talking the new John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah, although, so we've been saying John Carpenter's Halloween, uh, you know, and he definitely had a lot to do with it, but let's talk about the two the two creative leads behind this. Well, do we want to go into that, or do we want to go into kills? Let's let's save kills for a little bit, because that's going to get into some spoilery territory. We've already... We're in spoil... We're, we've gone on the break. We're in spoiler territory. Okay, but real quick, let's just talk... Let's give credit where credit is due, real quick. So, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought they would make this Halloween movie? Yeah. Um... I, especially Danny McBride, because like, you know, you know, Danny McBride for the brand of comedy that he does. And I love him. Oh, he's uh, so funny. He's so funny. Uh, you know, this is the end. I'm not a huge, like, you know, Eastbound and Down, but like I've watched a few episodes and he's so good in that. Yeah. Uh, he, he definitely plays, he definitely plays cocky Georgia boy. Great. Yeah. And vice principals. He's really good too. Mm-hmm, yeah. And David Gordon Green, uh, I think he's like EP on those too, but you know, he did like pineapple express and then he got kind of shoehorned into doing these stoner comedies, but I haven't, I haven't seen the movies that made him that like really got him on the map, but he started making like indie drama character pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one called George Washington. Uh, I, d- I know nothing about it. All I know is that whenever people talk about how could David Gordon Green make your highness after making George Washington, you know? Yeah. Um, well, but even you can t- say what you want about these stoner movies, but the action in Pineapple Express yeah. is insane. Mm-hmm. So no matter what 
and, and this is speaking as a human being that consider considers themselves a filmmaker, but like falls down for a living. Um, you learn a lot, no matter what the job is. Yeah. And you, anybody who says that pineapple express isn't some good to- storytelling oh. and doesn't take you on that ride mm-hmm. is has lost their mind. So, so, so what I think that, you know, and of course I, I wasn't behind the scenes on this movie. So I, no. this is just what I'm seeing from watching the movie. Uh, it makes me think of get out for, uh, on that note too, Jason Blum produced this movie and I cannot say enough good things about the stuff that Blumhouse is doing. Blumhouse has gotten to this point where if their name is behind it and you're seeing it, you're gonna see something scary. Yeah. And you're going to see something that is thought out. And Jason Blum has this, this equation that works. Well, I heard a quote from him, uh, where he talks about, he talks about running into, into problems on set as one does. And he, you know, he's a really, he's a great producer. Cause apparently from what I understand is that he gives the directors a lot of, a lot of free space to move, but he's right. there to make sure everything's working. Well, you can totally see that because what Bloomhouse movie is like a cookie cutter. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he said something along the lines of, because, you know, all of, most of the movies, this movie was fairly expensive for him, but most of his horror movies are like $5 million. For Sinister, Ethan Hawke was literally crashing on the couch of the set because they didn't have, they couldn't afford a hotel. Um, but his whole thing is you can't buy your way out of a creative problem, so it doesn't matter how much money you have. Correct. And I, I love that he, even on a movie like this, you can tell he was taking that approach. But uh, David Gordon Green, what I think he really brought to this movie was a level of character development that isn't, that isn't really found, especially in the Halloween sequels. You know? yeah. uh, and Danny McBride, where I brought up Get Out, was Jordan Peele talking about how horror and comedy are, you know, like, if you're, for one thing, if you're a good director you're a good horror director or something mm-hmm. like that but he was talking about the timing of comedy and the way that the timing of horror works and it's all about it's all about build up and release and build up and release and that's how you accomplish what you want to do in a comedy and a horror so danny mcbride being a very good comedian and uh, a good um, a good comedic actor and having a lot of really great films under his belt i think he really brought that level of like pacing and timing to it you know yeah um this movie isn't, it isn't a slow burn because you already know what's going to happen. It's so it, you, it doesn't need all this buildup. It has 40 years of buildup. Yeah. So, but they still take the time to build up the family dynamic with it. So by the yeah. time it gets to the end of the movie, you're just like, I understand this relationship and I understand the emotions going on between these women. Right. And everybody's likable, which is really nice mm-hmm. too. Um, and even in Lori is kind of hard to be on board with mm. for a little while, but Lori really comes through. Well, Jamie Lee Curtis, man. Yeah. She's so she good. So, I mean, she's always good, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but in this movie, especially I can tell like, like Jessica said earlier, this is what Halloween H2O was trying to be, but they were, they, for those of you who don't know the behind the scenes stuff, they were really handcuffed in the way they could do it. Yeah. Cause Halloween H2O was supposed to be this movie. Yeah. It was supposed to be about Laurie Strode finally confronting Michael Myers and winning for sure. However, there was a small, small, small print in their contract that said that they were not allowed to completely kill Michael Myers cause they wanted to do a sequel. So the way that they got around that and you know, everybody wanted to walk, but at that point it was too, it was too late by the time they realized that. 
So the way they got around that is they filmed Halloween H2O like it has a definitive ending. And then they filmed some extra footage that they use in the next one that explains why Michael Myers is still around. And the Halloween Resurrection is an awful movie. Um, but so I think by the time they got there, everybody was kind of disheartened about that. And, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis wanted she was a producer on uh, H2O. Yes. And her whole thing was she wanted to work with John Carpenter again. But that didn't work out because of, you know, money issues. And, you know, the more you I won't go into that because there are lots of Halloween podcasts right now. But, you know, like I don't blame John Carpenter for walking from that one. Yeah. Um. But like she wanted that to be like, I want to get back together with the gang and that didn't work out. OK, well, I want this to be a definitive ending for Laurie Strode and that didn't work out. So but halfway through production, you can like you could tell just by listening to everybody talk that she was just like, all right, I just got to get this movie done and then move on. And this one seemed like it was like, no, we want all of those things, too. Let's try doing it 40 years later instead of 20 years later. And you could tell, you know, you you could tell that she was in this movie. Oh, 100 percent. And it's it was it was just really the character development was really good. I also like that her daughter um, I, again, I really like H2O, but then you've got a teenage son mm-hmm. and teenagers suck like they <laughs> just always suck. Um, and but with a grown daughter who has grown up and knows what it was like to be Laurie Strode's daughter. Um, and then I thought they made the granddaughter, they made her a, a person and a teenager willing to fight for. Granted, I liked the teenagers in H2O, yeah. but it wasn't so much angst. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, I mean, H2O definitely felt very Kevin Williamson-y, you know, yeah. and Kevin Williamson writes teenagers the way that Kevin Williamson writes teenagers. Yeah. Um, this one, I, I thought that her character was very well fleshed out. Uh, they drew a lot of parallels between her and Lori. And whenever Which I, saw I really them, liked. And when she was running around knocking on the doors, mm-hmm. I was like, eh, here yeah. we go. And I, I liked too. I don't know if you noticed this, but you know, she went to, uh, she went to the Halloween party with her soon to be ex-boyfriend. He stays alive, by the way. Uh, I, I did find it weird that they, that he didn't play any other part in the movie just because that's what horror movies usually do. Well, but you, um, so we're getting into kills. Yeah. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Real quick on that note, I was just going to say, I don't know if you noticed that her Clyde shirt was basically the same, almost, it almost looked the same as Jamie Lee Curtis's shirt from the original Halloween. Oh, it did? It, it was like a button-up blouse, and it was a light blue color. And especially towards the end of the movie where she took the tie off, it, it was like, oh, yeah, that that looks like her. Oh, yeah. No, it, I mean, it's totally... Like we were, like I was saying, she was like running to the house. I was like, let me in, let me in, let me in. Mm-hmm. But somebody did come to her help yeah. this time. And that was awesome. This movie plays with your expectations a lot because there's a lot of this where you think it's going to be like, you know, oh, this is just a callback to this. Nobody's going to help her. Oh, wait, no, people help her. Like, because in the first Halloween movie, they literally turn the lights on and turn them off. Yeah. You know? And that worked in that movie because that was playing with the conventions of Halloween. People always thought it was a... Uh, oh, it was just a prank. Yeah, but people here, like, everybody knows who Michael Myers is. Everybody knows the story of Halloween 1978. So even, like, the cop is just like, no, we are we are going to stop this now. So like, yeah. So, like, her yelling and screaming for help and people actually coming out, I thought that added a really nice layer to the environment, you know? Well, also, too, this is 40 years later, and we as... Uh, as a society would open our door. Mm-hmm. We would open our door. Yeah. 
um, that's, you know, it's not like those darn kids, nothing bad ever happens. No, bad things do happen. And you open your door to people crying for help. Mm -hmm. So I was glad for, I was glad for that. And, um, but going back to the boyfriend that doesn't die, we needed a way for her to get out of this party. Yeah. And, um, so I can see what his purpose was there and it's set up nicely for the other relationships, but Lori doesn't lose her crappy boyfriend. She loses her actual friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that was much more palpable and the way that they died was pretty horrific. Totally. And what I, what I, the only thing I meant by that part of it was that we've grown accustomed to in modern horror movies, especially slasher movies that if there's like, if there's a crappy boyfriend, that he's eventually going to come back and, you know, he's eventually going to come back and get brought into the mix somewhere. I mean, they even do that in Halloween four. Uh, so, right. so you're, you're right. He totally served his purpose and I'm a hundred percent on board for how they did it. It's just something that for a moment was a little jarring to me. Um, I never thought it was jarring because this movie made it apparently clear that the, the Strodes got it covered. Yeah. And w- maybe not so well covered and she did run through the woods in total fear, mm-hmm. but were you um, disappointed at all to not have a Michael Myers, like slow chase through the woods at all? No, there's a part of me that wanted that, but I'm not disappointed. No. Um, I liked that he went straight to the house. Yeah. Um, it was much to me, that was far more Michael Myers than running after that one girl, because that's not what he wanted. I suppose that would have been a Friday the 13th. movie. That's a Friday the 13th, a hundred percent. Yeah. And what I loved too, um, is I I don't know. I just felt like this was Michael Myers, Michael Myers, and he doesn't kill everybody, which Mm -hmm. is another Michael Myers thing. Yeah. He didn't kill the baby, which I was expecting, expecting especially because he already killed that kid. Yes. Um, he was totally Michael Myers about it because one of the most terrifying moments is he's out on the front porch after killing a couple people and there's all these trick-or-treaters, and they're mm-hmm. all running around. And I just thought, this he, he's killing on Halloween because no he's hidden with everybody else. And he, he could have just gone down the street and killed everybody. But he is much—he's not, he's not Jason Voorhees. No. Jason Voorhees is going to kill you because you're there. Yeah. Jason Voorhees is— a maniac. Michael Myers is a monster. And cause there's that lady, the sexy nurse, mm-hmm. he doesn't kill her. Nope. And he doesn't go after her. He calculates and waits. This movie did a really good job of a uh, really good job. This movie did a very good job of, um, getting into the psychology behind Michael Myers. Yeah. And like, that's what Rob Zombie tried to do in his, but he did that by giving it backstory here. Like it illustrates that, like that whole scene where you, you notice that was like one long shot of everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, I'm you pretty could, sure there was some ghost edits, but yeah. Yeah. E- either way. Good on the editor for that. Um, well good on the DP cause you gotta get that shit right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, not only that, it, that illustrates it perfectly, but also we'll get into it towards whenever we talk about the end of the movie. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about with uh, Karen uh, at the very end. Just talk about it. So so at the very end of the movie, um, you know, they're at Lori's compound, basically. Yes. And the and, trap. Yeah. And then there's a uh, there's a hidden basement underneath the kitchen island. Mm-hmm. And that's where 
that's where Karen, Lori's daughter, is waiting. Yeah. Um, and she stays down there while her mom takes care of it. And that's kind of whenever they come back together and Karen finally understands her mom better. It, and they p- both played that so well where it's yeah. like, I get you now, mom. Yeah, it was, to- it was totally clear. And it was so great that she got reunited with her daughter and to look at her daughter and go, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, she and she that's the thing is like, you know, she's down there. She hears her daughter come in. So she opens that kitchen island back up and gets her down there and then shuts it down, like shut, closes it back. And then Michael Myers rips it off. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then so she has her rifle that she had as a kid, which I thought was right. a good little one. Annie Oakley yeah. over there. And she's hol- she's holding the rifle and she's like aiming it. She's crying and she starts screaming, Mommy, get down here. I can't do this. Mommy, help me. Because she knows Michael Myers is waiting up there. And then she, and then Michael Myers, like, as soon as she says that, he gets in the way and he's about to start coming down. And then she just changes. She's like, gotcha. And then she shoots him. Yeah. And, oh, God, that was such a good moment. It was great. It was really, really good. And um, it, w- it was just great because they, you saw... They set up really well that Lori had been doing, had been training and setting this up for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the traditional horror film of the, the booby trap gone wrong. This is the booby trap gone right. Yeah. And not to say that things didn't go wrong, but Lori thought about most of these scenarios. There's a scene in there where, you know, Michael gets into the house and she's going through the house looking for him. Every time she clears a room, she hits a button outside and it like drops this cage in front of it. And I, I just love that because that was a person who was just like, I need a tactical advantage. I'm going to know how to clear every room in this house and make sure I don't have to recheck it. Yeah. And it was so great. I even, there was a moment I was like, God, what if she has to like, they chase all of a sudden, like a lot of horror films are like mm-hmm. hush, yeah. you know, like you're, you've all of a sudden got this chase going on and you end up back in a room and oh no, she's going to be trapped in there. And I was like, no, she won't. This well, is not how this movie's going to go. No, this movie makes, here's the, here's the thing that this movie does a lot better than H2O. And I think it does a lot of things better than H2O. Cause I still like H2O, but yeah. you know, I like it a little less as I get older, you know? Fair enough. Um, but uh, H2O had Lori as a broken woman who wore a really good mask. Yeah. You know? This movie has her as a broken woman who's just like, I know I'm broken. I'm fully aware of myself. You'll understand why soon. So like, so like in H2O, Lori Strode like had to really pull herself up to confront Michael. And this one, she'd been preparing for it. But she's she's a formidable foe against him. So it's not about showing this broken woman and being poor Lori, poor Lori. This is showing I'm I consider myself broken, but it's all going to you'll understand soon enough. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of where I'm disappointed that like number like the second one and maybe H2O aren't kind of part of the story. Mm-hmm. The reason being is this woman and horrible, horrible. It's like Scream. Mm-hmm. I love the Scream series. Yeah. I love the Scream series. And that's the, the these women are very similar to me in the fact that really, really horrid things have happened to them. But like, I want to say some things that you'd have to put an E on the podcast for. But you, the, you can you can say it. I'll bleep it out. Um, no, because it's a whole stream right. of them. But these are some like some bad ladies. Yeah who aren't going to be messed with. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are grown-ups, you can put out put, you know, 
put together what I wanted to say. Um, and they, I don't know, just, it was like if number two and 20 had been part of it, they were all character building for her to go, you know what? I'm going to learn to be a really good shot because I've shot him before and I'm going to get really good at this. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's kind of where I'm like, oh, I wish those were true. I would have been fine if Halloween 2 were a part of this. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously the big thing that they would have had to get past is the fact that they're not related. Yeah, but but the rumor part, like the rumor line that they put in this movie was great. Yeah. And that would have calmed that immediately. What I would have done for that, if I wanted to bring Halloween 2 into it, is I would have just said, no, they thought she was, but somebody mixed up the paperwork or something like that. Well, but even just the rumor was fine. Yeah. It was just a rumor. Yeah, it was well, just wrong. Well, in Halloween, in, yeah, in Halloween too, they definitively say it. Right. No, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying though, like just being like, nah. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, I, I would have been fine with that, and I would have been fine with Halloween too being a part of this. Me too. Uh, especially, like you say, from a character development point of view, because in Halloween too, Jamie Lee Curtis again is playing somebody who's just traumatized and is still in the middle of dealing with it. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing is, whenever you watch that, you have to remember, like, oh crap, that other crap just happened to her. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, and can we, let's circle back to kills. Yes. Let's do that. Because I don't, I mean, no, it's not Rob Zombie gory, but the kills in this movie are terrifying. Yeah. And it's, it's always weird to talk about a horror movie and be like, Oh, aren't those kills awesome? Because, you know, as a, as a human being who's a part of the social construct that is life, uh, you don't celebrate somebody being killed, but you know, in a horror movie, it's okay. You know, and that's one of the reasons why you go. It's also part of why these people are scary. Like the idea of killing someone is horrific. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, isn't CGI great? Because like to see knives go through people, but I'd also like, I want to know more about the practical effects because a lot of this seemed very practical. I am, I'm fairly certain that most, if not all, were pretty practical. Because, woo, um, and though I think the one that kind of got me the most was the friend slash boyfriend. Yeah, like he goes in and he's like, "No way!" and goes and grabs a knife, which somebody in the audience was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, mm-hmm. you're not." And he's just stuck on a wall. And it was very reminiscent it, of the first Halloween. The, the first one and the fourth one. Oh, yeah. Because uh, there, there's a girl who gets stuck on the wall with a shotgun in the fourth one. The fourth one's whatever. <laughs> uh, no, but I liked that moment because you don't actually see him get killed. No. But but that's another thing. I really liked the character of his girlfriend who was uh, Allison's the, friend. Mm-hmm, the nanny. Uh, yeah, the nanny. Can we talk about that little kid Oh too? my God. <laughs> Shut up, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. The, the little kid who she's babysitting in this movie is so good. I want to see him with other things. He's so good. And, but the best line in the movie is, Shut up, Dave. Yeah, he, so like he gets freaked out and uh, he gets freaked out and, you know, Dave and I can't remember Vicky. her name. Vicky. They go and they're talking to him and then he's trying to be like, no, everything's okay. He's like, shut up, Dave. And he, the way he <laughs> so says Dave, it's kind of like on a, it's kind of like that commercial, the Ted, the anti-Ted Cruz commercial where the guy's, <laughs> the guy's talking about Ted Cruz being tough as Texas and he's this old Texan guy's like, come on, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to you, John Oliver, for making us all aware. Yeah. Um, but but no, so I liked those I know, that characters. Little, can we give a slow clap for the little kid? 
Because he was so good. I wouldn't be over here clipping my nasty ass toenails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they have this they have this moment where like you know she's talking to Lori. She's like, you should come over afterwards. David's gonna David's gonna bring his alakazam. And then the kid's just like, I know you were talking about weed. And she's like, no, I wasn't. It was like a magic trick. He's like, oh, that's against the rules. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my mom on that. And she's like, fine, you tell on me. I'm gonna tell her about your browser history. And he just looks at her and he like <laughs> narrows his eyes at her. <laughs> that um, whole that whole conversation. And that's another thing too, like all of Allison's friends weren't crappy. Yeah. And I really liked that. Like mm-hmm. I felt really awful that they all died. Well, and I liked her and the little kid, Julian, their relationship together too. Yeah. Because like, you know, they're, as they're going back and forth, she's trying to get in bed. She's like, I nanny a lot of kids. You're like the 10th, my 10th favorite. Yeah. You know? And the other and ones then, are total losers. Yeah. And then at, at the end, as she's like, you know, tucking him in and stuff like that, she comes back in and she's just like, by the way, I, by the way, I was kidding. You're my favorite. Yeah. And then he's just like, I like you too. And then whenever she's being, a, first of all, I wish they wouldn't have shown, I know you didn't see the previews, as much yeah uh, but in the previews they show where she tries to close the closet door she opens it and he's there i wish i wouldn't have seen that see and i didn't know that and yeah. i totally got a jump scare um, but uh whenever she's being attacked by michael myers uh and julian comes up there and is screaming she's not screaming help she's screaming run you know and so i just thought that was a, a again the character development in this movie like you know horror movies tend to set the bar pretty low for character development yeah but this one like it's a horror movie that has character development that you find in just another, like any other kind of mainstream movie. You know, it's, it's so good in this movie. Yeah. Agreed. Um, because we could probably spend another hour on the kills alone. What was your favorite kill? My favorite kill. Uh, I'm probably going to go with the, with the friend who tries to kiss her. Oh gosh, um, that was so sad. It, yeah, it was, and, and that's what a horror movie is supposed to do. You're supposed to feel for these people, you know. If they're just fodder, like that's my problem with the whenever they turn Jason into a zombie in the Friday the Thirteenth movies, like from part six on. And again, I love Friday the Thirteenth. I've recently watched rewatched all of them while you were in LA. Um, but once they turn him into a zombie, they kind of turn him into an antihero. Yeah, uh, and so like you don't really care about the people who he's killing. Um, in this movie, you actually feel for pretty much everybody he kills. And this kid, like, you know, he's kind of like the, the chubby friend and, you know, he's being really nice to Allison and he is reading the signs wrong and he tries and he accidentally is wasted and and he kisses her and then she gets really mad at him. Understandably so. Yeah. Because even then I I was like, you're really going to corner her in this dark corner up against a fence. I I was like, no dude, you got this one coming. Yeah. But you know, and then he was talking to, he saw Michael Myers in there and it's a great scene with like a motion sensor light. Oh, it's so good. And he thinks it's the neighbor because they're in someone's yard. Yeah. And as he's trying to get away, his Halloween costume cape gets stuck on the fence and Michael comes up and he, first of all, the scene with the motion sensor is great. Oh, it's so scary. But he comes up and he starts stabbing him in the back. And the next time you see him, you can see that Michael Myers took the top of the fence, which has like a little arrow on it. And he literally shoved that through the kid's chin like Timothy Dalton in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. And it's sticking out and he's just kind of hanging there. Uh, I would say that that's probably my favorite kill. That and... That and, uh, I mean, the scene in the closet was just great. But and yeah. if we're talking about, like, kill, kill, the police officer whose head he hollowed out. Oh, that was so scary. Yeah. Yeah, and it looked like a jack-o'-lantern. It was so good. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, it was so smart. It yeah. was so, these are creative, y'all. And that um, was actually a callback to the Halloween comics. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> but after H2O, they did a lot of Halloween comics that I've read, and they're actually all pretty good. I'd like to get a collection of them sometime. Um, that tells what Michael was doing between Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O. Uh, and in one of the comics, it's a guy, like, he stabs this woman in the back and then takes her in the woods. And this guy is, like, her husband is trying to find her. And at the end of it, you see her, like, hung up in a house. And he had hollowed out her head and put a candle in there. So, uh... I mean, it, it's still creative the way that the way that they had it discovered here, but that that was, was definitely a, re a reference that I caught, and I say that in the best possible way. Yeah. So we, your favorite? My favorite is because it was the dumbest, and my f most favorite. Mm -hmm. Anytime someone's head gets blown apart by a stomp or a squish, I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. And when he when he squishes the psychiatrist's head. Or a psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't know which one he is. Um, holy Moses. Holy Moses. It explodes, and just how it's, like, there practically afterwards. Yeah, spaghettios uh, just come out all over the oh, place. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. But it's... He stomps on his head and it explodes, what? which is completely unbelievable and ridiculous. But it also was it also was nice mm -hmm. in holy crap things are getting really serious. But it was like oh yeah it's still a movie. So what I liked about the bigger kills, you know, the head stomping scene, the jack o' lantern being hollowed out, and things like that, is that they treated it like it was happening in the real world, but they didn't go super realistic with it. Like you know, because yeah. a good horror movie should still have an element of like feeling like a comic book for to a degree, you know, or a cartoon. Yeah, almost. well, I mean, like Dave being hung on the wall. Yeah, that knife wouldn't keep him up there. No, and like the lady who like who gets like the knife in the throat. Yeah. But there's also some brutality, like the pod, the podcasters dying in the garage. That I mean, anybody in a Halloween movie that's going to be in a garage and Jason doesn't have a suit yet. Michael. Oh, Michael <laughs> is screwed. Yeah. So, but so that was brutal. Yeah. It was awful and brutal. It, it was brutal in the way that I wish more of the Rob Zombie movies were. Because everybody talks about the Rob Zombie movies. Oh, they're so brutal. They're so brutal. And I usually hate whenever people use brutal as a, uh, as a descriptor for a horror movie. But I would say that brutal is an apt description of this. And I think that it does the brutality as, great. As someone who has choreographed some really awful things... Um, Anytime someone is running away and being grabbed and brought in and she like hits her head on the toilet, can you imagine how terrifying and jarring it would be? Oh, absolutely. And so to me that is brutal because she's she's very aware. They're both those the podcasters were very aware that this is their end. Yeah. Whereas like the lady with the knife in the throat, the lady with the hammer, it's over pretty quick. Yeah. And it's grotesque, but brutal is when it you die knowing you're going to die. Yeah. And a lot of this movie had that, but there's also head squish moments. And head squish moments kind of make you go, oh my God, that yeah. was so bad. Well, like, but it's not real. Well, like Drive has a has an incredibly brutal head smashing moment. Yeah. Uh, and that one they did pretty realistically. Uh, and they, they got advice from uh, a film director. I'm not a big fan of his. His name is uh, Gaspar Noe. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that movie Irreversible. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-mm. I wouldn't recommend many people put themselves through Irreversible. It is a hard movie to watch. There is a sustained, a single shot, seven minute rape scene in there. And no, well, I don't think anybody needs to see that. No. And like, you know, if you watch the whole movie, it's told backwards. Uh, you know, like it makes, it makes sense why they do that because the whole movie is about the morality of everybody's reactions behind that. So like, it's not like it's, it's not like it's just, you know, grotesque for the sake of being grotesque, but like even as a horror movie aficionado, I wouldn't recommend you put yourself through that unless you just really want to be challenged. But, uh, they did a scene where, where they crushed the guy's head with a fire extinguisher and then uh, Nicholas Wendig uh, Riffin went to Gaspar Noe to get advice on how to do the head crushing scene in Drive. I'm glad they didn't do it like that in this movie because it was still very much, uh, it was still very brutal and very graphic, but it was a little on the cartoony side, so it made it easier to digest. It was much easier to swallow. Yeah. Um, and I thought the way that the house kind of engulfed Michael is so great. And so should we, so were there any other kills you want to talk about before we talk about the house? Um, no, I just thought they were just, everything was really thoughtful. Like people died that you're like, why did he kill that person? That person yeah. was just in their home and minding their own business, but he didn't kill everybody. And everything was for a reason to get to Lori. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it makes me curious because they don't have a relation of why Michael is after Laurie Strode. Um, what they allude to in the first Halloween movie, uh, because they kind of make Laurie look, Laurie and her friends look similar to Judith Myers, his sister. Um, so what they allude to is that he is that he killed his sister and he's been trying to recreate that forever. So to, like killing his sister again. Yeah. Like that feeling that he got from doing it. So Laurie being, being similar to his sister and then uh, getting away, I think that he was going to kill people no matter what. But I think once he saw Laurie, like from the window and the reflection, uh, I think that's when it was like, I'm doing this. You know, this is her. That's the way I read it, at least. Gotcha. Yeah, I've never gotten that. And I've always kind of liked the lore that they were related. Yeah. I always thought that I always thought that was good lore. Yeah. I, I have never had a problem with the fact that they're related. I totally understand why they wanted to take that out, though. Because, you know, that wasn't ever supposed to be the original thing. John Carpenter was painted in the corner writing the sequel. And, uh, and totally, and I understand that. But I'm just saying I liked it. No, because, totally. Because it feels like a movie based on a feeling is tough. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so it's like, okay, I mean, I'm, that's fine. I didn't create the story. So like, what am I going to do? Go fight it. But, um, yeah, it was fine. It's fine. Two other things I want to mention. First of all, uh, Toby Huss as, um, Ray, uh, uh, Allison's dad, Lori's son-in-law. Um, was it, was the age difference distracting to you at all? Yeah. Because he looked about the same age as Laurie. I, I, I don't know if he's about, I think he's about the same age as Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And I, and like, it just, it was a little distracting. Um, I don't know if maybe they did that on purpose to be, to be like, cause you know, one of the plot points in here is that, um, is that Karen was taken away from Laurie when she was like 12 years old. So yes. I don't know if they did that as a thing of like, you know, having like daddy issues or anything like that. 
I don't know. And I mean, and this is where I, I genuinely don't know because Hollywood has a tendency to be like, well, Judy Greer is a little bit older. So somebody, yeah, somebody 38 wouldn't want to marry Judy Greer. Which I mean, I mean, with, I mean this in the least misogynistic way possible. Every woman in this movie looked good. Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis looks fantastic. Oh my God. She's just like Judy Greer is a knockout. Yeah. I love the Christmas sweater. I thought that was so good. Um, Um, well, about about Ray though, I will say that I did like his character. I did too, because um, like it, you know, a lot of times it's another thing in horror movies that like you know the dad's oblivious or the dad like, and he's definitely like a jokester dad. Yeah, like well, a, he's an not the most dad. helpful. No, but like he cares though. He cares, and like he, you know, whenever his daughter's in danger, he is on board to doing whatever he has to do. Yeah, well, and even to the fact of. Um, whenever she comes to the house with the gun, he's like, no, get the gun out of my house. Yeah. Like he has moments where he's real. He's a real human being. Yeah. Um, but I did not, it didn't, yeah, it was a little distracting. Uh, I I was sad to see him die. I was sad to see him die. I, I wish there would have had a moment where like, where like they recognized that he was officially dead because there was a moment where uh, Karen was like, where's Ray before she goes down into the basement. Um, but then after that, of course, Lori finds him in the, uh, in the closet and that's pretty creepy. Yeah. But so for what it's worth, uh-huh. I totally agree with you because that's her husband and she would mourn, but I don't think there was time in this movie. Like totally. she, she goes, where's Ray? But they don't know where he is. At that point, yeah, they don't. So as much as like a, like a, oh my God, where's Ray freak out would have been nice. There was about 10,000 other things that they were freaking out at at that moment, Mm -hmm. including her daughter is still gone. Michael's in the house and they're freaking out anyway. And now we don't know where Ray is. There was just no, it kind of felt like Mad-Eye's dead in in Harry Potter. It's actually really awful, but they don't give you... This movie just didn't have the time yeah. to deal with Ray. I don't I don't think that that is a detriment on it at all because the story is definitely about these three women. Yeah. Um that's just something that I noticed. It's like, well, if that were me, I'd I'd hope you'd take a moment once you know I'm once you know I'm dead and you burned up my corpse. You know? Right. And and I'm sure I'm sure if there was going to be a sequel to this, yeah. which I don't think it's intended to I, th- I think they left it open enough, but I, I'm kind of hoping they don't make I a think sequel. Just let it lie. Yeah, because this movie has a good definitive ending. Now, the yeah. only th- other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to the ending is the psychiatrist. Oh, um, what a twist. I didn't love that. No, but what a twist. Yeah. So the psychiatrist, um, there's a moment, I think you missed this because you had to get up and pee, uh, where, you know. As you do. Yes. Um, where they introduce him to Lori and she's like, oh, you're the new Loomis. And I thought that was a really clever way of them being like, yes, you're going to talk about how much we're kind of remaking this movie. Lori's going to acknowledge this and then we're going to move on. Yeah, I did like that. And I, you know, I liked, I liked that he, they quickly, this movie was really good writing, by the way. Yeah. Because anything that you're just like, wait, what about, and they just kind of in an offhanded way, he was like, I studied under Loomis. Like mm-hmm. it, they didn't make it to do about it. It wasn't a thing. It was, I studied under Loomis. Can we move on? Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm this character now. Mm-hmm. Can we move on? And it made it really easy to be like, okay, moving on. But there's a moment in this movie where he, uh, 
you know, he's with the sheriff, played by Will Patton, who I thought oh. did a great job. Oh, was just great. And they, by the way, they never, they were originally going to film, refilm the ending of the first Halloween movie and show Michael Myers being caught. John Carpenter told them not to do that. And he was just like, listen, I know these fans. They're not going to like that. Don't don't do that to yourself. Just move on and acknowledge it throughout the movie. And that's what they did. And it worked so well. And but Will Patton's character was supposedly the one who caught him, which yeah. I liked because uh, as soon as he saw Michael Myers' name on the manifest of missing patients, like that look of terror over him, he's like, we've got to do this. Oh, he was so good. He was such a good driving force. Yeah. But then the psychiatrist, Will Patton runs Michael Myers down in the car and the psychiatrist goes to check him out and then slashes his throat. And like, no, doesn't slash his throat. He's got a pen knife uh, and he stabs him in the throat. Yes. It's, Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, but he does that because he wants, he really wants to get Michael and Laurie together to see if he can make Michael Myers talk. Again, that's why, that's why the podcasting, like that whole, that's the whole why. So I can, I can see that. And again, I'm not, I'm not continually bothered by the podcast. What I more meant, whether I, whether I, uh, conveyed it properly or not, is that it was just something that I noticed. It, after that twist, it makes sense why this psychiatrist who's been a, Uh, watching after this guy for 40 years allowed this random podcaster to wave a mask in his face and scream at him. Um, But uh, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about the twist of the psychiatrist becoming evil just because it kind of, you don't, I know you don't really remember Halloween's four through six that well, right? Mm -mm. Okay. So that's whenever they went through the whole like curse of the thorn. He has to kill a member of his family every, every all Hallows Eve. And the twist in Halloween 6 is that it was Loomis's boss who was like the leader of the Cult of Thorn. And to me, that kind of reminded me of that in not a great way. Right. And that almost took off half a pumpkin for me. Oh, really? It almost did, but it doesn't bother me enough to... A, it doesn't bother me enough to where like I'm, I dwelled on it. And B, it was a it was a great way as a plot device to keep things moving forward. Right, it, and it's and it's such a blip. Yeah, it's such a like a blip, and it's gone. It was just a very distracting blip to oh, me. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, when it happened, I went. I remember in my brain, I was like, "Whoa, yeah. you serious?" <laughs> um, but I didn't like when he put the mask on. No, but it. But what? Here's what I did dig about it is. Everyone in this movie that wasn't a part of the day, but everybody else was obsessive about Michael Myers, Mm -hmm. the podcasters, the psychiatrist, like people around it were obsessed with Michael Myers. It was just, it was kind of like, Ooh, like look at this, like the boogeyman, like, Ooh, he was so obsessed with it that he wanted to, he was trying to understand it and be Michael Myers. Yeah. And and I think what that showed is just like, that's not going to work that it's just not going to work. And so I kind of, that I didn't, it wasn't the greatest twist ever. And this movie would have been served just fine without a twist. And I'm really sorry to have seen the sheriff die because that he was like one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Um, but it also showed that Michael Myers is not to be, maybe not to be understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it was terrifying when he shoved Michael Myers in the back with mm-hmm. Allison. I was just like, this is terrible. Yeah, and then whenever, like, you know, she keeps looking down and she sees his hand because he's passed out from being hit by a car. And by they the way, hear the word. Yeah. Um, he, uh, she keeps looking down and eventually the mask just isn't there. That, that was great. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? By the way, in this movie... Even though it's kind of like the more realistic portrayal of Michael Myers, like, you know, he's not like an unkillable druid anymore. Yeah. Um, in this movie, he is, I think he's stabbed. He's um, stabbed. He's shot. He's shot. He's shot in the shoulder. He, he has his hands blown off or he has his fingers blown off. Uh, I love he, when he's standing there like two fingered. Yeah. It was so good. And he gets hit by a car doing at least 50. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, and congrats to the stuntman who played Michael Myers. Dude, he's one of my favorite Michael Myers. Oh, it's so good. And you, and we've talked about this before that Nick Castle played him in a few places too. Yeah. Nick Castle was the original shape from the original Halloween movie. And most people know him because he wrote uh, Hook, uh, the Peter Pan movie. He also directed... Bangarang! <laughs> he also directed Flight of the Navigator. Mm-hmm. And he directed... Did you ever see The Boy Who Could Fly? Ugh. Years and years ago. I don't remember much about it. I remember it being a a, a great movie about magical realism. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, so Nick Castle came back. He played Michael Myers in a couple of places. Uh, the main place where he played him was whenever she shoot right before she shoots the mirror and you see him do the head tilt. That was Nick Castle. Because Nick Castle was the one who came up with the head tilt. Yeah. Uh, and then he also, anytime you heard Michael Myers breathing, that was Nick Castle doing ADR. Yeah, it was great. But and James Jude Courtney was, I think he's one of my favorite Michael Myers. Oh, just the athleticism and the way that Michael moves. It it looks, it. you know what it felt like? He was in hibernation for 40 years. Yeah. And didn't miss a beat. And I loved the way that they shot him. Like, you could see that he was a normal person. Uh-huh. He was not a druid. He wasn't something weird. I'm assuming it was a little, like, it was actual padding, too. But he even looked like, you know, oh, 40 years later, he he has himself a little gut. He has not been exercising, you know? Well, but yes, but no, because he still looked, like, really strong. He looked strong. He just didn't look like, I, I'm Michael Myers and I have a six-pack, you know? Right. It, it was great. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the mask itself? Because this this series has a weird history with the Michael Myers mask. Yeah, and coming and coming off of a Friday the Thirteenth with all this mask drama, uh-huh. um, it's a. Gr- I I liked it because it wasn't as clean. Yeah, this to me this felt like what a Halloween mask should feel like. I think it's probably one of my favorites. I really liked it, and I liked. Um, it was scary. Mm-hmm. It was scary on him. I really just want to go see this movie again. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I'm not saying let's stop the podcast and go now, but, uh, <laughs> but at some point I want to go see this movie again. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I'm excited for, um, um, our next episode is going to be just talking about scary movies. Yeah, We'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll make sure that we talk about scary movies we like for the season. Yeah. Um, and to, to talk with others about it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, did we want to talk about the house trap at all before? Because remember, I want to talk about a couple of, uh, fan theories and stuff, but while we're still on the subject of the movie, was there anything else just pressing that you really wanted to talk about? Mm-mm. 
the the flip of like where they say this move this house isn't a cage because you know Karen talks about how she always felt the house was a cage and they say it's not a cage it's a trap yeah it's so good yeah and again I loved the relationship between all three of them between Lori Karen and Allison um Judy Greer that moment where she flips and she's like she's luring Michael Myers out to where she can can give a clear shot. That was so well performed. I yeah. I I am so happy with her performance in this movie. Um I would like to see this movie get some award love. I, it's not going to. I mean, no, it's not going but to, I, but at least like cuz you know, the only place where you can ever really see horror movies get awards love are the Saturn Awards. So yeah. if this movie doesn't get some Saturn, at least nominations for the performances, the screenplay, I'd say the directing and the music, then I'll be very disappointed. But people, I want everybody to know, especially if you're a Halloween fan, this is the Halloween movie you've been waiting for. Agreed. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And I hope, and I hope if, even if you're not a necessarily like Halloween fan but you like scary movies and you've probably if you like scary movies you've seen halloween you've seen friday the 13th you've seen scream you've seen these cornerstones Mm -hmm. in the scary movie world so go see this because i feel like it's going to satisfy kind of your sweet tooth yeah because it kind of it does it gives you what you want and the trap at the end, it feels good that a trap worked. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go perfectly, but it worked. And yeah. it gives you, I don't know, it, it was just really great. And the way that it was executed just felt meticulous and calculated. And that's how it was supposed to feel. And I, it was really, it was fun. It was fun to watch it unfold. Yeah. Um, so, you know, cause we're kind of dipping into the Halloween lore. There are a few, uh, there are a few fan theories I wanted to talk about. Okay. One is, so you know how, like, they even played the tape of Loomis and that was a sound alike. Yes. Um, you, and you can tell, but not bad enough. It was fine. Yeah. I, I did like how they had the tape warp though. Oh, when it was warping in the storytelling and going on the bus, I mm-hmm. was like, that's so good. Yeah. It's so good. But one theory is that Michael Myers could have been saved, but uh, Loomis projected evil onto him and for 15 years told him that he was evil. You're evil. You're evil. You're evil. And that's what made Michael Myers like fully Ooh. snap. Smart. Interesting. Yeah. I can totally see that. And again, I don't think any of this, if I were to bring this up to John Carpenter, I'm pretty sure he'd just kind of roll his eyes, you know? Oh, well. Um, but a couple of, there are a couple of fan theories out there that have to do with Halloween three, which I really like these. Okay. So one of them is, so you remember at the end of Halloween two, uh, Lori shoots Michael Myers eyes out. Yes. And that's whenever he's like, you know, he's covering his eyes bleeding and he's just like wildly slashing, trying to get her. Yes. And then Loomis, sets the explosion and sets him on fire. Yes. Uh, Halloween four and five, he looks like a normal dude again and he can see and he has eyes and you see his eyes. Oh, so they completely ignored that, ignore that, which is weird because they are direct sequels to Halloween too. Right. Um, so one theory is, even though in Halloween three, it's all about like snatching people up and doing like, and turning them into like robots, right? And androids. Yes. People think that Michael Myers from Halloween, like Halloween four five and six is an android set up by silver shamrock interesting uh 
And that kind of ties in with the other one. So that Michael Myers was never truly evil, but Silver Shamrock did a soft release of their uh, of their masks. Oh, and he's wearing one of them. And he was wearing one. He was wearing one the night that he killed his sister at six, at six years old. Because you know, in the first movie, after it does all the first person stuff, and he runs up to his parents and like Michael, and they take the mask off. He's just kind of standing there, like it almost looks like he's horrified, like he's in disbelief on what he did. Right. Uh, and they're like, there's a theory out there that says, well, maybe Silver Shamrock had put something in that mask to test it out and it didn't work the way they wanted to. And that's whenever they did the one that would like kill the kids and turn their head into bugs. Interesting. So again, I don't think you can take any of that as canon, but I like those theories. No, oh, those are interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It also means that Halloween 3 actually is a part of the Halloween, like the actual Halloween universe. Right. Oh, and one thing I saw somebody mention is that, you know, in Halloween 3, they play a trailer for the for Halloween 1 yes. in there. And they're they're like, yeah, that's weird. However, think about how quickly it took them to start making 9-11 movies. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so they're, so they're like, so they said, it's possible that they could have rushed out a straight-to-TV movie for, Hall- for Halloween five years after the fact. Oh, oh, 100%. So those are just some theories I wanted to touch on that I, that I personally like. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. It, even if you d- like, if you don't accept that, because let's face it, the Halloween timeline gets so messed up. Yeah. Between the fact that now there's like one and this one, and then there's also one, two, and H two O, and then there's one, two, th- four, five, and six. That right. like everybody kind of makes up their own Halloween canon. Uh, yeah. So so like even if you don't accept that in your own Halloween canon, I just like the ideas of them. Yeah. So in theory, as according to John Carpenter, there's one, and so it's Halloween and Halloween, because this one doesn't have a number to it. Right. It, it's kind of like whenever they did the Thing the prequel, that was kind of a sequel, but also a remake, and it was just called the Thing. Yeah, which was very good. It could have been better. Oh, it could have been. The first thing is... The, fir- the first thing is like one of my favorite movies. Not even... Th- we'll talk about that in the next yeah, episode. That's, that's the next episode thing, um, which is probably... Stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, yeah, bananas. I feel like that's going to have to be like a two-parter. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for that episode, we're going to go as long as we want it to, and then I'll just cut it up into digestive pieces if it's too long. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm fine with releasing five episodes in one day if uh, <laughs> yeah. if you guys want to hear us talk about scary movies, because in this house, we love scary oh, movies. Oh, yeah. This Halloween, October, is, a, is an important month. From October to the end of December is... We're in ho- we're in holiday mode, you yeah. guys. Holiday mode. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, we watch scary movies all year, but actually, for this episode too, I want to give a shout out to my cousin Katie because she was the first one to inter- really introduce me to the Halloween movies. That's awesome. And she was the first one to tell me Halloween three is actually a good movie. Just get over the fact it's not Michael Myers. Mm, fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Well. I feel like we've come to a button. I feel like, I mean, honestly, we could probably talk about this movie for another hour. Probably. I mean, at the end of the day, probably a stupid question. Do you recommend people see this movie? Oh, 100%. Um, and I think, too, you don't you don't even have to have seen the first one to see this movie. I It helps, sure. I, I can see that, yeah. But they totally allude to, like, Laurie Strode has had a ton of trauma if you've not even seen Halloween one, you know the story. Like, they catch you up. They catch you up. You know exactly what's going on. So I kind of dug that too, because we didn't. We didn't see the first one right before this. Yeah, I mean, granted, we've seen the first one a million times. True. But like, I 
you don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of movies that I do. No. Uh, and sometimes I have to remind you about movies that you actually liked. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, the fact, it's part of my, who I am. Yeah. But like, and I don't say that to say anything about your intelligence, love of movies, anything like that. <laughs> but the fact that I didn't have to catch you up on this movie uh, and we haven't watched. The, I think it's been a couple of years since we watched the first Halloween. It's movie only together. been a year. We um, watched it last year. Okay. But um, the fact that you were just like immediately on board and they catch you up with everything without having immediately seen this. Yeah. And I'm a goldfish, you guys. Yeah. Like I'm a true goldfish. If it's not on my calendar, I'm not going to make it. Like yeah. it's, I've had a lot of concussions. It's who I am as a human being. But this movie is, it, it's really enjoyable. And if you, now, if you are squeamish, don't go see this movie. Right. If you, um, if you are like, Oh, I don't mind scary movies, but the jump scares really bother me. There's not that many jump scares there, in this. There are a few and they happen fast. Yes. So this is not, this isn't your like, you know, traditional, like spooky do jump out you from all corners. What were we've become accustomed to as a scary movie, ghost movie. Mm -hmm. This isn't that it is a, it is a, this is a consistent burn movie. It's not even a slow burn. It once it gets rolling, it's rolling. Yeah. And but if you but if you are very very squeamish, I would say this isn't a movie for you. Yeah. But if you're just like, hey, I like scary movies and I like good movies, you'll love this movie. So let me ask you for this recommendation then. Okay. Um, if somebody's just interested in horror movies and they don't have uh they don't have a huge history with horror movies the way that we do right but they're interested in seeing a good one obviously this is a horror movie that just happens to be a good movie yeah would you recommend that they see this or would you recommend starting with like the first halloween movie because the fact that it's not as bloody um i would say if you're like i'm interested i kind of like i kind of like thrilling kind of things go just go all in and go watch this and if you really like this movie then go back and watch mm -hmm. Halloween one. Now this, and again, this feels like an extension of John Carpenter's vision. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And we, we are unapologetic John Carpenter fans in this house. Oh. I don't think I'm glad to see he's finally getting the recognition he deserves. Yes. Um, if anybody ever comes to the little blue house productions headquarters, we have a signed photo of John Carpenter in our home. Yeah. It's actually in our guest room. We put it over the, we put it on top of like the bed in the guest room. Yeah. It's on the headboard. Yeah, because we like the fact that whenever somebody comes and stays in our house for free, they have to sleep under a signed picture of John Carpenter. It was my cousin Katie who gave us that as a wedding present, and it says, "Jordan to Jordan and Jess, best wishes, John Carpenter. And honestly, like... It's like the most treasured thing in yeah, our house beside our like living creatures. Yeah, and in terms of inanimate objects that don't further our career, because, you know, I've got a lot of stuff in my studio that, like, if our house got on fire and all my synthesizers and guitars were destroyed, I'd be distraught. But as far as like inanimate objects that don't help our career, that's my favorite thing in our house. Uh, it's my second. Yeah. Yes. What's your first? I, well, know, I know what it is. Yeah. He's yeah. very precious to me. We, we talked about him on Christopher Robin. Yes. He's, and uh, if you go back to the Christopher Robin post, you can find out more about Doe the Reindeer. But Doe the Reindeer and the John Carpenter picture would be yeah. the first, the first inanimate, not important to mm -hmm. further life objects yeah. they would be precious um but yeah i would say go and see this movie because and, and if nothing else go see it because you're like want to feel that kind of do you ever feel as a grown-up the holidays kind of lose some of their magic and i remember halloween being like 
because we don't get dressed up anymore. No. And, um, and you would think that we would just by anybody who's probably hears us and whatnot. You'd think that that's something that we would want, but um, we don't. But these movies make me feel like, ooh, I need to like cozy up, watch a scary movie. I'm excited it's chilly outside, that it's rainy, and I'm gearing up for the end of the year and to look back on everything we've done. So yeah. I, I just think this is a movie that gets you in the Halloween spirit. So go see it. Totally. I a thousand percent agree. Like I said, I want to go see this movie again. Yeah. If you aren't up for it, I may go whenever you're on set this week. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, this movie was, it's rare to find a horror movie that is a legitimately good movie. You know, like yeah. I, I'd say the Conjuring movies are like that. I'd say the original Halloween was, I'll even go to bat for, you know, like Friday the 13th part two and things like that. But like this movie is it's well-crafted. It's so well-written, so well-directed. I can't say enough good things about the score. And it's one of the best acted horror movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Oh, it, everyone does a really good job. It's rooted in truth. It's rooted in true fear. It's really good. I think that's it. Just go see the movie. Yeah, Just go see, see it the movie. and let us know how... Let us know what you think. Um, and then join us. Um, kind of our next episodes are going to be about... Scary movies. Yeah, it, it won't be necessarily be like new release movies unless we get a wild hair and go see one. Yeah. Uh, I know there are a couple coming out that we want to see. Uh, Mid-90s looks really good. Uh, I really want to see Widows. Yeah. Um, and I think, and, I, and I'm just percolating it right now, I've not shared it with Jordan, but I think we're going to have an Easter egg uh, on our next episode. So mm -hmm. stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, make sure to, uh, we really appreciate, um, we really appreciate everybody who's been downloading and listening. I've been keeping up with those stats and you guys are awesome. Yeah. Uh, make sure to rate and review us, especially on iTunes. I'm going to be working on getting, uh, we, I, we've been pitching t uh, Stitcher for a while and I've just been lazy and haven't done it. That's going up this week. Um, but yeah, make sure to rate and review us and we really appreciate that. Yeah, because it helps us. We, we've, we're getting awesome sponsors and it helps us put these out in a more timely manner. It gives us more resources and rating and reviewing it is what helps other people find us. And we do this because we love to share our love of movies, but what makes it even more fun is when people go onto our discussion board on Facebook and we get to actually talk about movies yeah. and we get to talk about this podcast. And that's, that's the best part, you guys. So, um, and I'm trying to stop saying you guys, you all, everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I've already had my apology for the you guys. You know, we, I, we don't mean that as a gender specific yes, thing. Yes, we're trying. We've got to be better. So, um, awareness is key. So, um, but those rates and reviews, also rate and review and let us know what you like because then we can keep doing more of that. Yeah, we've, we've gotten some great feedback from, uh, from some of our, just some of our friends who have been listening to this. You know, yeah. people who we've known for years, people who I've worked with, and a lot of their feedback has been, has been great. You know, I can't promise that we'll get to every single movie that you guys suggest, you know, especially because like, you know, we don't get out to the uh, kids movies too often, but you know, let us know if it turns out it's like, Oh yeah, we need to do more kids movies. Then yeah, we'll do that. Then we'll do that. So we're working on it. And first and foremost, thank you for listening and thank you for joining us. And I guess let's sign off. Well, uh, all right. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this has been Date Night at the Movies. And you all, we love talking about movies with you. We'll see you next week. Yeah.